0: Thank you for tuning in into the New Life Church Downtown Podcast. If you would like to get connected, follow us on Instagram at nlc Downtown little rock or email us at downtown.podcast at newlifechurch.tv. Well, y'all, welcome to New Life Church. We are so glad that you're here with us this weekend. How y'all doing? How y'all really doing? Don't give me the church. Oh, we're good. Who in here has been a little stressed this week? Tell the truth. A little stressed this week. Anybody been worried, anxious this week? Anybody been fearful? Okay. Now we're being honest. I like it. Go. I've been in the same place past couple weeks, fighting those things. And I believe that this morning that God's given me a word from his word uh, that'll help us. And so uh, he is an ever-present uh, help in times of trouble. And so right now he's with us. He's present. And so I'm excited to get into the word with y'all. My name is Brunson. If I haven't met you yet, I'm one of the leaders, one of the pastors around here. We like to have fun. If you haven't noticed that yet, we like to joke. It's okay to laugh in church. Can I get an amen? Uh, last week, uh, my good buddy, Chris Ochterbeck he came and brought a word called simplify and apply. Simplify and apply. If you missed that, we have a podcast. Uh, you can go find that wherever you listen to podcasts, New Life Church slash downtown, New Life Church, slash down, downtown, and check it out. But he talked about, and I related to this, how often do you think about all the things you don't know instead of just doing the things you do know, right? And what I've found is when I don't do what I, what I know, I can't blame somebody else for what I reap, right? If I'm not doing what I know, I can't turn around and blame somebody else for what I'm reaping because you reap what you So, right? And so, one of the most common places that this blaming happens is in marriage. Can I get an amen? Married couples. Blaming your spouse for your problems is a tale as old as history. Uh, One of the first stories in this book called the Bible is about Adam and Eve. And uh, after they both taken a bite of the apple, what did Adam say? He said, it's this woman. (laughs) This woman you gave me. So, husbands. Blaming your wife for your problems is not original, okay? It's been a problem since the first marriage ever. And so for me and Callie, the way that plays out is I will lose something. Uh, Follow me long enough, and I will leave something behind. And uh, I'll be like, you moved it. Any husbands in the house do that? Anybody? Am I the only one? I'm the only one who blames your wife for moving stuff. It's called cleaning. We call it moving stuff. Always moving my stuff. No, I'm cleaning because you're messy, right? Uh, and so, you know, we all have, we all have things. We all have things we got to work on. Uh, and what I love about the grace of God is that he, he draws us graciously in to work on those things. And so this morning, uh, our scripture is in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Here's what it says. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what's the will of God, what's good, acceptable, and perfect. Uh, The title of my message this morning is Back on the Altar. It starts with me. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are faithful. God, I thank you that this word is alive and it's active and it helps us. God, it doesn't heap judgment on us, but it liberates us. And so God, help us walk more and more in your liberty, more and more in your freedom, more and more in your hope. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, and all the kids in the house said, come on, kids. I know y'all are in here. All the kids said, That's what I was looking for. I know y'all miss your kid life pastors, but you're going to have to deal with me this morning, okay? I'm going to do my best. Um, Have you guys ever had somebody tell you that you can't do something? You'll never be able to do that. Uh, When I was 12 years old, uh, I had a neighbor. I'm not going to say his name. His name was Payne. And he was my best friend. And in their family, they played guitar, and it was the coolest thing in the entire world. And so I wanted to learn how to play guitar. Um, and uh, <laughs> there's a song. what's the first song that every kid learns how to play on guitar? Yell it out if you know it. Smoke on the water. Bingo, who said that? Ryan Stevens. Good job, Stevie. Uh, "Smoke on the water." and so Uh, first day, I just couldn't get it. Like, I was convinced I needed a left-handed guitar because my fingers just wouldn't work. Has anybody ever tried to learn how to play guitar? Uh, It's like another language, right? And so the second day, I still couldn't get it, and Payne looked at me, and he said, you're terrible at this. You'll never be able to play guitar. You'll never be good at this. Just give up. I'm not exaggerating. That's exactly how he said it. Can I show you guys something? Can you mute this mic? Give me the other one. Give me a second, I'll be right back. You guys ready? I nailed it. Go ahead and give me a round of applause. You know you're not very good at something when you have to ask for a round of applause. <laughs> Everybody give me a round of Go ahead. Just whenever you want to do it, right now. Uh, in Your Face Pain, that was Smoke on the Water, perfectly played. Um, and so what I did is I spent the next six years, and I learned how to play just that song. That's all I learned how to play. Uh, no. But if you, if you want me to do something, tell me I can't do it, right? That's just how I'm wired. And so he told me that, and I was like, I'm going to learn how to play guitar, and I'm going to learn how to play better than you, right? That's how <clears throat> I'm wired. I wonder if in your life you've ever had somebody speak things like that to you. I wonder if you've ever had somebody tell you, you're never going to be good at this. You'll never be good at this. You'll never be able to do this. You'll never be able to overcome this. And I wonder if you've ever used that to drive you. I wonder what drives you in your life. What drives you to achieve? What drives you to your goals? I think often it's stress, it's anxiety, it's fear, it's proving somebody wrong, right? But what I believe is that God has designed us with better fuel, God's designed us to work on a different fuel. Everybody say grace. Everybody say grace-fueled effort. I believe God has designed us to run on his grace. Because what I believe is that it's desperation for God, that it's a connection to God, it's a thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us that drives us in a healthy way. You might get there, being driven by the other things, but you're not going to get there healthy. Have any of you guys ever achieved something and you've realized you achieved it, but you were still miserable? You achieved it and it didn't bring you the hope that you thought it would bring? Why? Because often when we let these other things drive us, it becomes our identity, but God designed us to have a relationship with him as our identity. Why is that important? Because if you put your identity in anything else, when it lets you down, when it lets you down, it'll hit you at your core instead of just saying, hey, that's some side thing. Because at the core of me, I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. And he's pleased with me. At my core, at the core of who I am. And if that's true, then the other things that people might come bring against me, the other things the enemy might try to bring against me are not going to rattle me to my core. You know, God has called us to be living sacrifices. Everybody say living sacrifice. You know, it's interesting when you look in the sacrificial system because in ancient times when they heard living sacrifice, they thought about sacrificial systems, right? If you go back, You look in Leviticus chapter 1, it outlines uh, an atonement sacrificial system. And so basically how it would work is you could bring a bull, you could bring a goat, or you could bring a pigeon. Bulls, goats, or pigeons. Which one of those things sounds the most expensive? Kids. I want the kids to answer this. Bulls, goats, or pigeons? Bulls. Who said it? Way to go. Three gold stars. Jonathan, somebody... Let's get them gold stars. Let's get them some shroot bucks. <laughs> Kid life cash, shroot bucks, that's an office joke. Anyway, uh, that's right, bulls were the most expensive. So who would have brought the bulls? Rich people. So if you're wealthy, you brought a bull. If you were middle class, you brought a goat. And if you didn't have a lot of money, you'd bring a pigeon because they were cheaper and you could bring them. But here's what's interesting. I was listening to a sermon from Dr. Uh, John Gerstner this past week from, I think it was from the 60s that he preached. And he said, the thing that's interesting about each one of these sacrifices is that the bringer was still called to bring the same amount of the sacrifice. They were still called to bring the whole sacrifice. You know, it's interesting with bulls, goats, and pigeons We see how this can play out in different areas in our life. If you get in the classroom, some people clearly have bulls for brains, and some people have pigeons, right? Ironically, in the same way, if you get out of the classroom and you get on the playground, the same people who were pigeons in the classroom are bulls on the basketball court. Can I get an amen, somebody? All of us have different gifts, y'all. Listen to me. All of us have different gifts. All of you guys walk in different spheres. Some of you guys are hairstylists. Some of you guys are principals. Some of you guys you work in the police force. Some of you guys are students. But God has called you to bring the same amount, and not just to bring it, but to sacrifice it. What does that mean? When you sacrifice something, that means you give it up. What would drive someone to bring their whole life as a sacrifice? Only grace. Only grace will call you to bring your whole life as a sacrifice. Why? Guilt will never keep you coming up on the altar. Shame will never keep you coming up on the altar. Why? Because God never meant you to be driven by those things. Why is that important? You know, we talk about faith. Everybody say faith. Come on, say faith. We talk about faith. We often think, I've got faith that God can get me to heaven. But do you have faith that God can lead your life? Do you trust God in every area? My first point is this, is that we've got to bring the whole sacrifice. Got to bring the whole sacrifice. I want to read a quote to you from Dr. Tim Keller. He said this. He said, You're not living the Christian life unless you put to death the idea that you have the right to live as you choose. Oof. Does that hit anybody else like in the chest? <laughs> Especially as Americans? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> I don't have the right to live as I choose. Have you ever heard of America, God? But that's one of our chief ethics, right? Look at this story. It's in Mark chapter 10. This was a last minute entry, so they don't have it, so you're just going to have to listen to me read it. Can you track with me? Mark 10, if you've got a Bible with you, I'm in verse 17. It says, as Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, know the commandments. You must not murder. That sounds good, right? He's like, Okay, check. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not falsely testify. You must not cheat anyone in honoring your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. Looking at the man, notice this. Jesus felt genuine love for him. Other translations said he had compassion on him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he said. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Why would Jesus ask such a thing? How cruel. Unless the things that this man owned actually owned him. And he didn't have freedom. Because here's what we know. Is that as you go through life, all of us, All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. How do we know that? Read the scriptures. (laughs) We talked about this two weeks ago. Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you might as well have murdered him. If you look on someone with lust, you might as well have committed adultery. You've done the same thing. He's escalated. He said, this is the chief ethic of life. And if you can't live up to this, then you can't have a relationship with God. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to hear. God designed the ideal way for us to live. I think all of us agree we don't want people to hate us, right? But have you ever hated anyone? <laughs> I said this the other week. I felt like it was too far. I'm not going to say it this service cause there's too many kids in here. <laughs> okay. The other thing we talked about a moment ago, we don't want people looking at us right, like that, right? Most of the time. Unless it's our spouses. Then we really want them to. Oh, gosh. Too far. <laughs> That's what George will say in like 10 years. God laid out an ideal way for us to live, and we could never do it on our own. But he didn't just design the ideal way to live. When we couldn't do it, he came and did it himself. And not only that, he said, the same righteousness that I've lived, I now offer it to you as yours. Something that you didn't deserve. You know, if you go look at ancient times, adoption, when somebody was adopted... Often what they would do is if if one of you, you didn't have an heir, you didn't have kids, what they would do in this culture is they would go and they would adopt a kid, and the first thing that would happen, the first thing that would happen is all their debts would be canceled. And the person who adopted them would say, everything that I have is now theirs. Did they earn that? It's the free gift of grace, and Jesus has offered you the same thing. How amazing! So why get on the altar? Because he's worthy. Because he knows the ideal way for you to live. And as we keep getting back on the altar, he brings us more life, not less. You know the problem with a living sacrifice? It likes to crawl off the altar. <laughs> it makes me think of, and I won't sing it for you, but I'd like to, that sim, that, that hymn, Come Thou Fount. It's prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Ironically, the guy who penned that hymn ran from God years later. And as the story goes, he was in a carriage with a woman. And she was reading a hymnal. And for some reason, she felt compelled to read those words to the man sitting next to her. Ode to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. And it goes down, it goes down says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And he said, man, you're talking to the man who wrote those words. And that was the beginning of a change and a revolution in his life. Y'all listen, listen to me. Every one of us in here have times when we mess up. We have times when we don't bring God everything, but the grace of Jesus says that your relationship with God is not based on acing that. It's based on having a relationship and just getting back up. And so here's what I want to encourage you. Don't let shame drive you back to the altar. Let grace drive you back to the altar. This is the one place, the church, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the one place you'll find grace. You know, I heard a quote one time by a guy named Philip Yancey. He said, I left the church because I found so little grace there. He said, but I returned because I found grace nowhere else. Yo, know, this is the one place. This is the one religion. This is the one Savior who truly offers free grace. And not only that, not just future, like one day you'll go to heaven, but he offers you life transformation today. And in this crazy paradox, when we give up our life, we actually get life. Let me ask you a question. How is doing it your way worked out for you? How is you being your own ultimate authority worked out for you? Here's a test. I gave this a few weeks ago. When you were 15, when you turned 18, how would you feel about your decisions when you were a (laughs) 15-year-old? Then you did college, right? Some of you all are still in it. You get out of college like, ooh, I was dumb in college, right? Why? Because you were your own authority. But if the Scripture is your authority, if the giver of life, the one who breathed life into our lungs is our authority, he will lead us into the ultimate way for us to live. So why get on the altar? Because by getting on the altar, we'll actually walk in the fullness of life. By giving up our life, we'll actually receive life. So what do we have to do? We have to put to death the idea that we have the right to live as we choose. Oof. <laughs> we have to put to death the idea that we belong to ourselves. If you're under the grace of Jesus, We have to put to death the idea that we know best what should happen in our lives. We put that to death and we give it to God. And it feels like death, but on the other side is life. Y'all, let me tell you, this is one of the hardest things in the Christian life, is to continually crawl back on the altar. But what I found is every time I do it, every time I do that one thing I don't want to do, there's always more life on the other side. Amen. 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 Point number two, we've got to ask God to renew our minds. I'm skipping a little ahead in the order of the scripture, but Romans 12, two, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Mind. Mind. I wonder what's been ruling your mind recently. You know, for me, about two weeks ago, I was talking to my pastor, Pastor Rick, and he's like, how are you really doing? Kind of like I did at the beginning. How are you really doing? I said, dude, I'm anxious. (laughs) I'm nervous. I don't know what the heck is going on. (laughs) right? Can I say that? Is that? That's not bad. I don't know what's going on. I'm reading the news. Everybody disagrees. He said, I want you to quit reading the news for a little bit. I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I do. He's like, I want you to replace that time with time in the word. And uh, don't, don't get in the news. I'll fire you. Pastor Rick, super intense. <laughs> well, I was like, yes, sir. Uh, but you know what? During that time, peace has started to rule over my mind again. I'm not, I don't have my head in the sand. I know what's going on out there. But here's what we know. The scripture says in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. Also says that, for I'm convinced that our present sufferings are light and momentary. Oh, we could do a whole sermon on this. Light and momentary. Does what's happened right now feel light and momentary? It's light and Momentary, compared to the glory that's to be revealed in God's plan. Y'all listen to me. Listen to me. You know what was happening in the first century church? The Romans were setting Christians on fire. They were feeding them to lions. All these crazy things were happening and that's the context into which the apostles said these are light and momentary troubles in comparison to what God Is going to reveal to us in Christ Jesus. And so, what's the point, y'all? We've got to renew our minds by the washing of the word. We've got to allow God to dictate for us what the truth is. Because in this world, we will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. Remember earlier when we were talking about identity? Man, for me, think about how much has changed. Think about things that you use success. Some of you guys, your businesses are struggling. We're praying for you. We're believing that God's going to move on your behalf. But what I found is when my business struggles or my life struggles, I find out where my faith is. So here's what I want to encourage you. I don't want to be insensitive. I just want to tell you, if you're going through it right now, and I know a lot of you guys are, put your faith in Jesus. You know, Chris O read a scripture last week. Jeremiah 29, 11, yell it out if you know it. For I know the, I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans for hope in the future. Do you know how long it took for that promise to be fulfilled? 75 years. Jesus, or excuse me, God spoke this. He was involved. but God spoke this to the Israelites while they were in captivity. And what he was saying is, I'm going to restore to you your land back where you used to be. 75 years is how long it took. That means two generations passed. Does that mean that God didn't keep his word? No, that means that God's timing is God's timing. And we get to trust him along the ride. That's what faith is. And so Christian, listen to me. Take heart. In this season, Jesus is with you. He is with us. He has not abandoned us. He is not surprised by what's happening. I want to encourage you, don't stop doing the things that you know God's called you to do. Don't stop getting on the altar. Now's the time to grow. Now's the time to stretch. But if your mind's not right, you're just going to continue to struggle. And so here's my encouragement to you. Take some time. Get your mind right. If if you're getting overwhelmed by the news, be smarter than me. (laughs) Take a a Shabbat, right? That's the real spiritual way. Take, Take some time off from the news for a little bit. Am I saying be uninformed? No. We need to know what's happening. But I'm saying if that's ruling your mind, go back, get reset, and then re-engage with it. I'm able to engage with it in a healthy way again. I read the news yesterday. Don't tell my pastor. (laughs) But it didn't rule me. Fear didn't rule me. Why? Because the peace of God can rule over our minds. My last point. So number one, we got to bring the whole sacrifice. we got to keep getting on the altar. Amen. We're going to talk about how to do that here in a second. Number two, we've got to ask God to renew our minds. Number three, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Can't be conformed. You've got to be transformed. What's the world doing right now? Panicking, right? Can't panic. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what's the will of God, what's good, acceptable, and perfect, Okay, last story. Two. I got two more stories actually. Second to last story. Uh, when I was about twenty, nineteen or twenty, something like that, uh, I went full monk. All right. So like, I was desperate to hear from God. I, I needed to, I needed a word from Him. I was trying to figure out some things in my future, and so I shaved my head. All right. I went to the Salvation Army. I gave away all my nice clothes. Got down to just like t-shirts and jeans, uh, and uh, I stopped wearing shoes. I don't know why. I just, you know, shoes. I was on holy ground everywhere I went. Deep track Christian joke. Okay. Uh, And uh, I did weird stuff. And God did show up. But I like just fished. That's all I ate was the fish I caught in the river in Ohio. (laughs) Mercury poisoning. Uh, But I, I went through this phase where I just pulled away from the world. And I thought that was the way for me. to to only hear from God. It's interesting. I was far from the first person to do this. If you you research, write this down, the desert saints, okay? Research the desert saints from about 900 A.D. to about 1200 A.D. There was this huge movement of desert saints, and there was a guy named St. Simon the Stylite, all right? You can search this guy, too. St. Simon the Stylite went through a similar situation where he didn't want to be conformed. He wanted to be transformed, and so he lived, listen to me, he lived on a pillar in the Syrian desert for 37 years. When I first heard about this, I thought, surely that's, that's not true. <laughs> this is an exaggeration. No, this guy went and found a pillar. He built a little platform on there, and he lived up there. And his disciples brought him food and stuff, but he was staying away, he didn't want to be conformed. He wanted to become like the world. His disciple after him, stayed up there for 23 years. Do the math. That's 40 60 years somebody was living on this pillar in the desert. Is that the way to not be conformed? You know there's people who thought food is unclean, so they starved themselves to death. Christians. There were people who believed that bathing was unholy. <laughs> Some of you kids in here you think that? It's not. They were gross. So how do we not be conformed? Is it by separating ourselves? Let's just start our own little community and stay away from the world and we'll just leave tracks that look like money on their tables at restaurants? Please don't do that. Or if you do, don't tell me come church here. Is that how we do it? Is this what the Apostle Paul meant? No, Paul was an intellectual. He was a man of the world. He could go to Rome, the most civilized place on the planet at the time, and have intellectual discussions. He could engage with people. Jesus, the one we follow, people called him a friend of sinners. He was so close to them that people accused him of being a drunkard, although he wasn't. What's the point? God has called us to be in the world, but not of it. Last story I want to tell you. There was a lady named Julia Lake. I heard this story from Dr. Gerstner. Julia Lake, she believed at a young age that God had called her to be a missionary to China. And the one thing she needed to do it, she needed to go to school and she needed a husband because they wouldn't send her alone. And she said, God, this is on you. You got to send me a husband. If you send me a husband, I'll follow you. So she went to school. She started her, her training, her missionary training. She did year one, no husband. Year two, no husband. Year three, you guessed it, no husband. You all know, this lady had done everything right by our accounts, right? And she said, one night I was praying, I was crying out to God angry. I've done everything for you. And you couldn't just do this one thing for me. And she said, it occurred to me how wicked it was to put conditions on God. She said, and I took my hand off my life. Presented myself as a living sacrifice, all of me. Y'all, if this lady, going to China, missionary lady, hadn't given all of herself, I'm willing to bet all of us have places where we still have our hand on our life, where we still have the illusion of control, but the reality is we're not in control. That thing is controlling us, and Jesus is saying, Just like he said to the rich young ruler, will you take your hand off your life and trust me in this place? As the story goes, amazingly, she had that night. She had that night with God. She said, I'm at peace. I trust you. Your ways, not my ways. The next day, she met her husband. They went on the mission field, had an incredibly fruitful ministry. What's the moral of this story? Is it that, If you say the right things, oh, God will give you whatever you want because he's a wishing wishing genie. (laughs) No. But if you trust him and you follow him, he will supply your every need for you to live a full life, to live on the mission that he set out for you. I know for me, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, I can't believe it's been this long. I was working for New Life Church as the executive uh, custodian, master of custodial arts. And uh, I was 20 years old. I believe God had called me to preach and teach and pastor a church. he put that in my heart. And I wasn't. I was auto scrubbing floors and picking up trash for the interns. And I remember one day I was standing there and I was like, God, you called me to do more than this. You called me to preach and teach and do all these things and it wasn't an audible voice, but it was just an impression of my spirit. I felt like God was asking me, if I have you pushing this auto scrubber for the next 10 years, if that's my plan for you, will you do it? I said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. Not long after that, I got a call from Harry Bates. He said, hey, Bronson, this is out there, but we got a job available in Hebrew Springs. I don't know if you'd be interested in it. Getting to Pastor and getting to lead, a job I didn't apply for, a job I didn't ask for, but God opened the door. Every, I could go through every phase of my life and tell you, even when I was in business, I got out of ministry for a little while. I was in business. I was mad at God again. God, you called me to be a pastor. I was a lay pastor. I was leading ministries in the church. Some of you guys were in those ministries at the time. You remember these days. I was in business. And God, it wasn't until I finally let it go and I said, God, your will, not my will, that he opened the door. So here's my question. I want to leave with you. What's that one place where God's calling you to crawl up on the altar as a living sacrifice and give him that one thing? What's that one thing? Because the truth is you could leave and you could go away sad. But my heart for you is your pastor Is that you wouldn't be like the rich young ruler, but that you'd be like Julia Lake. You'd say, God, I take my hand off my life and I trust you with it. Because your life in the hands of your creator will be more fulfilled ever than it is under your control. I promise you that. I can testify. Hey guys, Pastor Bronson here. just want to say thank you for listening in. Uh, Our hope and our prayer is that this podcast equips you on your walk, your journey with Jesus. And so please like, subscribe, share, help us spread the word. We love you.